you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Good morning, church. It works when you turn it on. God bless you. It's a blessing to be here this morning. It's a blessing to have this opportunity to, to speak with you all this morning. I just to let you know a little about me. Born in the, I was born in the 70s, but grew up in the 80s. <laughs> and like... And like uh, every typical 80, uh, 80s kid, you know, Saturday morning would come around, I'd go grab me a big bowl of cornflakes, frosted flakes, and I would plop myself down in front of the, the TV. Eight o'clock in the morning, first cartoons came on. And I'd spend, I'd spend eight o'clock to noon sitting in front of that TV watching every cartoon that came on, and then National Geographic came on, and it was something educational, so off, off went the TV. And we went outside. And we went to play, and I would, all our friends would come out at the same time, and we all had our bikes, and we were uh, riding our bikes up and down the street. We would build ramps on, on, our, on, our, on the sidewalk, and we'd jump ramps and, and try and do crazy things with our bikes. But this, this kid, one of our friends, came from another neighborhood, and he brought his bike, but it was different from all of ours. It had this cool seat that was kind of like laid back, and, and he had pegs on his, on his wheels, and... He did. Back then, we used to do, we used to do wheelies. If I tried to do it now, I'd probably kill myself. But he, he popped a wheelie, and he was like riding on, uh, riding on the sidewalk, and then he starts spinning his, his handlebars, and they're spinning around. And we're just like, what's going on? Because he had the cable handle brakes on the, on the handlebar. And it didn't make sense, because if it spun, it should get tangled in, 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 the, in the cables and, and stop turning. But he stopped, and we, and we all ran to go see you know, what, what kind of bike he had. And it had this, this new type of braking system. I, I looked it up on Google. It's called the Roto Braking System. And it was two discs that, that when he would, when he would pull, the, when he would pull the, the, the brakes, they would separate and they would, break, they would make the, cause the, the, brake, the, the bike to stop. It was new for us. We're, I was just totally amazed. It even had a cool name. It was called a Mongoose. The brand of the bike was called Mongoose. So I ran home, and what was the first thing that I did? I went to my dad and said, I didn't even go to my mom because I knew she was going to say no. <laughs> I went to my dad and I said, hey, dad, there's this new cool bike out that, that I want. Can you please buy it for me? And he said, no, you already have a bike. Look what you do. You're out there jumping ramps and throwing your bike all over the place. We want you to pay $500 for this bike. So he told me no. I was devastated. I went and I knelt down and said, God, please give me this bike. If you give me this bike, I'll be the coolest kid on the block. I never got the bike. But God had placed a call in my heart that at that point I had already recognized, but I just, I, I ran from it. And maybe at another time we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, to that part of, of my testimony. But in today's, in today's text, the, the text begins describing this man, Elkanah, who was faithful to God. So every year he would go up to Shiloh and he would take his family and they would go and they would sacrifice and, and this wasn't a sin sacrifice. This was a sacrifice that was for peace and fellowship. And, and the way they describe the, the, the sacrifice leads us to, to know this because they took the sacrifice and took just a portion and they placed it upon the altar as a burnt offering. Then they would take another portion of the animal and they would give it to the priest 
to help support the priest to, so that they could eat and his family would have food. And then the remaining portion was given to his family. He would, he would uh, separate the portions and give it to his family. And Elkanah had two wives. He had Hannah and he had Penina, who, was, who had his children. Penina had his children. And you have to remember at this time, we're in, the, in, in a different culture. It's a patriarchal culture where the man's, the man's value comes from his son, the heir to his, to his lineage, the, the person he will, uh, that will carry on his name. And the, the text tells us that Hannah's womb was closed, that God had closed her womb. So this makes sense that he, he married another wife, Penina, so that she could bear his children and would carry on the name. And unfortunately, during this time, what brought value to a woman was, her, was a, having a child, especially the, the son who, brought, who, brought, who would carry on the name for, for the family. And we'll see later how this weighs on Hannah's heart. So here we kind of get into like a soap opera section of the, of the, uh, of the text. Let's look at Hannah. Elkanah loved Hannah. This was his first wife. This is the person he chose to be with. This is the person he wanted to have children with. But he, and he was a good husband. He loved her, and he provided for her, and he took care of her. And even though Hannah hadn't bore him a son, he still gave her a portion of the, of the sacrifice. But you begin to sense that, that this portion that she's given weighs on her. Because they're at Shiloh because they're giving thanks. He's thankful for his family, and he's giving his family a portion, and the portion she received should have been for her and for her child that she would have, she would have uh, given to him. So imagine that. You're there in, in, a, in, a, in a celebration, and you're given this thing to remind you that I don't have a child. So imagine what that does to Hannah. This adds to the weight of sorrow on Hannah that she's already been carrying on her heart and it just adds bitterness to her soul. She wants to fulfill her, her desire to be a wife and a mother and provide an heir for Elkanah. Now, let, now let's look at, at, at uh, Elkanah's other wife, Penina. And we see that Elkanah, Elkanah's sensitivity to Hannah irks Penina. It's like, the, t- the, the text describes Penina as Hannah's rival. That's where I get that soap opera theme from. It says, when you first read this section and you see the way that the Penina acts, you view her as mean and as, and, as, and as a bully. But why? Why is she this way? So let's take a, let's take a moment to, to look at Penina. She is the one who bore Elkanah's son and other children to carry on his name. In her eyes, she's probably wondering, why does he treat Hannah this way? I'm the one who provided the son. I'm the one who, who is going to carry on his name through my children. Why does he love her? I should be the only one that he loves dearly. Why am I the outcast in her eyes? So in this sense, we see that Penina was also sad and upset. But unlike Hannah, she doesn't, she doesn't respond to this in the same way. She doesn't hold it with inside her heart, and she doesn't take it to God. So where does she point her resentment towards? Somebody can shout it out. Where does she point her resentment to? She points it to Hannah, her rival. She begins to provoke her. She begins to bother her. She begins to pick on her. She tries to hit Hannah where it hurts. 
She wanted to make sure that Hannah knew what she, what she thought of her. She wanted to make Hannah upset. And guess what? It worked. And this just wasn't a one-time event. This was yearly. Every year they would go up and, and they would sacrifice and, and, and Hannah would receive her portion and it would just add to her, her, her sadness and her bitterness. And, and Penina would see this and so every year she would say, you know what? He loves you, but I have his children. I am and what makes him a man. So imagine Hannah and imagine Penina. Now we look at Hannah's character she didn't respond in the, in the same way. She didn't try to, to, to respond and say, you know what? Well, he loves me. No, she held it in. And she didn't, she didn't have a, 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 a revengeful uh, type of attitude. She reacted emotionally. After years and years of this treatment and being, being provoked every year and being picked on every year, she finally had enough and she began to weep. And she wouldn't eat. Her desire was to have this child. Now Elkanah, he notices Hannah, and he loves her, and he cares for her, and he, he notices she's not eating, and she's weeping. So he knows that, that she's in anguish, but he tries to handle it in a typical man or husband type of fashion. When Maggie and I first got married, she loves this story, when Maggie and I first got married, I would, I would notice that something was wrong with Maggie. And I say, hey, are you okay? Yeah. Is something bothering you? No. Okay, turn on the TV. <laughs> and then later on, she would tell me, well, this was bothering me. And I said, well, I asked you. Yeah, but you're supposed to continue to ask me and, and, and try and get me to, to tell you what's going on. And she, 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 told, she, she gave me a lesson that day. She goes, you have to read between the lines. I, I didn't even know there were lines. And much of them trying to read between them. Sometimes we don't have to fix things, just walk with our spouse in their anguish or in their pain. We need to join in their lamenting. The Elkanah, he wanted to fix Hannah's problems. So when he, instead, of, instead of walking with her in her anguish, so he goes up to her and he says, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do, you, why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Then the zingers here. Am I not more to you than ten sons? Like, hey, I can fulfill everything you need. I can be more than what you need. He believes that his, his love is enough to fulfill her happiness no matter what pain she is in. They're in a time of celebration and thanksgiving, so why is she sad? He has included her in the sacrifice and the celebration. I, I gave you your portion. Isn't that sufficient? He honored her even though her womb was closed. Even though she hadn't provided him a child, he still loves her and he still provides for her and still cares for her. But he wasn't reading between the lines. So once again, we see Hannah's character. She doesn't get mad. She doesn't say, well, you should know better. You need to read between the lines. No, it says that she, she continued to celebrate with them until, the, until the, the celebration was over. And at that time, she gets up, and she returns to Shiloh to present herself, present herself before God. And she begins to pray. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. 
She's in such desperation that she begins to pray and make a promise to God. We've all made these promises to God, right? If you do this, I'll do this. If you, if you, if you give me the bike that I want, I'll be the best BMX freestyle uh, bike rider in the world. We try and negotiate with God. And if God hears her prayer and fulfills it, she will offer up her child to God wholly for his service. This is the promise that she makes. A promise that the child hasn't even been born yet or conceived. And she prays, O Lord of hosts, if you only will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink, he shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. What sense does this make? We're talking about wisdom. We're talking about God's wisdom and, and, and looking at, at Hannah's wisdom. What, what sense does this make? The one thing that you want, if he provides it for you, you're going to give it back? That doesn't make sense. Now there's a section in there where, where, where she, she speaks about offering him up as a Nazarite. And what does this mean? There was, a, there was a thing called the, or it's, I think it's in existence, the Nazarite vow, where if somebody made this vow, they wouldn't drink or eat from the vine, they wouldn't get drunk, and they would avoid contact with dead bodies because at that time they believed if, if you're in the vicinity of a dead body, you would become unpure, and they wouldn't cut their hair. But usually when somebody took this vow, it was only for a set amount of time, for 30 to 90 days. But here, Hannah's vow was that this child would live this life until the day that they die. So Hannah's not alone in the temple. She's praying and she's pouring out her soul and there's somebody in the temple. There's Eli. Eli's there observing her from a distance. He was the high priest that was there. And she's in so much, she's so deep in prayer that she doesn't, she doesn't even care what, what people think about her as she's praying, as she's pouring out her soul. And we who failed who failed her, or who questioned her. Both, so now we have both the head of the household and the high priest who questioned Hannah. The two people who should have walked with her in her anguish and, 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 and prayed with her and, and consoled her in this manner questioned her. Eli sees that her eyes are closed and she's praying and she's pouring out her soul. And you have to understand that this time at Shiloh, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was, was held in the temple. So people would go to give their sacrifices and just like, like they were doing, they were having their celebratory feast. So there was, of course, wine included. And so people would get drunk and, and, and people would probably wander into the, into the temple from time to time. So his first thought when he sees her is, here's another drunk. But this also goes to, to, to speak to the condition of the, the spiritual state in Shiloh, that his first thought would be that somebody's in the temple drunk, not praying or pouring out their soul. And if we continue reading, we'll see that, that even the, spirit, the spiritual condition of, of uh, Eli's family is corrupted as well. And, we, and you see later that Eli's sons have, have corrupted the, the, the temple and will be put to death and bring shame to, to his family and to the, into the temple. So Eli begins to scold her. Put down the wine. Stop drinking. Sober up. Come back later when you're sober. And then worship the Lord. And again, we see Hannah's character. She doesn't get mad at Eli. She doesn't say, why are you questioning me? How can you do this to me? He says, no, no, no. I haven't been drinking. 
I'm here pouring out my burdens. I'm pouring out my anguish to the Lord. And Eli, Eli probably is like, oh, my bad. <laughs> he noticed that she's being genuine. She's being authentic and bringing her prayer, prayers to God and her, and her concerns to God. And in this, he blesses her and tell her, tells her to go in peace. But first, <laughs> sorry, I missed this thing. But first he confesses that she's been praying in anxiety and, and vexation of, from her feeling of being worthless or good for nothing. She's de- desperate to provide the heir, and she's also annoyed from her unanswered prayers and Penina's constant provoking. She pleads with Eli to, to, to not to regard her as a worthless woman. In her, plea, in her plea, this is where Eli recognizes that she's being genuine. So he blesses her and tells her to go in peace. So Hannah returns to her family, but she's a different character. She's happy. She's eating. She's celebrating with them. She placed all her burdens at the feet of God, and she was able to find that peace that she was searching for. And we know that at this point, she's not pregnant yet. Her prayer hasn't been answered, but she's at peace. So the text goes on to describe that Hannah and the rest of the family, they get up the next morning, they go to Shiloh, they praise God, and then they return to their homeland. And at this time, it's where the, the Bible tells us that Elkanah knew his wife. So in due time, Hannah got pregnant, and she had the son that she prayed for, Samuel, which means I asked the Lord for him. God answered Hannah's prayer, so she was faithful in her, in her promise to return him to God. She sacrificed everything that she wanted to give back to God, to fulfill her promise. And if she was weeping before, can you imagine the day that she went to Shiloh to, to hand off her son that she had so desired to only be able to see him from time to time because they don't live in the same town and there's no Uber and there's no, there's no way to get there daily. She's sacrificing everything she wanted in response to God's faithfulness to her prayer. And today's, today's prayer, it, it, today's text, offers us the happy ending that we always want. Hannah asked and God answered. But as most of us know and probably experience, God doesn't always answer our prayers. No matter how much we plead, we don't always get the happy ending that we ask for. We don't always understand what God is doing. Why isn't he listening to my cry? Doesn't he see my despair? Isn't it, it's easy to lose our faith or to question God. But there was a point in Hannah's story where her prayers weren't being answered as well. But we see that she goes up to Shiloh every year to worship God, year after year after year, with unanswered prayers and being provoked by, by Penina and being looked down because she couldn't fulfill her, her, her duty as, as, as a woman in that culture. But yet, every year, she joined her family. She took her bitterness to the Lord and laid it at his feet. So what do we do when God doesn't answer our prayers? And it, it's a tough subject. Because what do you say? We want to say, pray and God will answer your prayers. Pray into existence. But that doesn't always happen. But the one thing we can do is to rely on God. Rely, 
Keep your faith and trust that God's wisdom is sufficient for us. We have to have faith that God's wisdom in our lives will prevail and sustain us every day of our lives. Now last week we celebrated All Saints Day, and I'm most certain that we celebrated people who played a role in our lives who, who never knew or recognized that they failed for us. There were people who were mentors, mother figures who weren't our mothers, father figures who weren't our fathers. And I'm also sure that some of us played that role for those saints who couldn't have children. We were like a a child to them, or a nephew, or a niece, or a grandchild. There's nothing better than going to church and having 20 grandparents or 20, 20 mothers, or 20 fathers. We need to continue to seek the Lord, to place our faith in the Lord of creation, place our burdens at the feet of the Lord, find peace in God's love and sacrifice for the world, and be open to those, those possibilities where we can fill somebody else's prayer. You may be the person that plays that role in their lives and change them forever. Let me leave you this morning with a story. There's a, there's a book here. I think you can find it at, at Asbury uh, Theological Seminary Library. It's a story of a, of a woman named Magdalena. She had four daughters, but she wanted, a, she, wanted, she wanted a son. She had two sons that died in infancy, but she wanted a son So she pleaded with God to give her another son, and she would dedicate him to God just as Hannah had done in the Bible. She eventually gave birth to another son who did survive. His name was Samuel. Or she named him Samuel. Shortly after he was born, he must have been uh, four or five years old, his father passed away suddenly. And the family found themselves in dire straits financially to the point where they were evicted from their house and they were living in, in, a, in, a, in a, little, uh, a little house with no electricity. This also affected the way Samuel was growing up. It was, we're, so we're not seeing it's the same, it's the same story as, as Hannah and Samuel. He struggled growing up. He had a difficult childhood growing up. His mother loved him, but he, had, he, he was just what the book describes as a wide and open road lifestyle. It means he lived the life. And as he, as he grew older, he would come home drunk. And his, sister, his sisters would plead with, with their mother, kick him out. We don't want him here anymore. He just brings trouble. He just comes home drunk every, every night and causes trouble. But he would come home late at night, and she would be up praying for him and singing his eyes on the sparrow. That was her favorite, her favorite hymn in Spanish by the candlelight. And she would tell him, come sit down. And she would plead with him, why don't you change your ways? Why don't you stop drinking? Don't you know that I dedicated you to God? And he would say, how dare you? This is my life. How could you dedicate my life to God? You had no right to do that. That's my choice. Her prayer was that Samuel would change his life. She prayed this prayer until her dying day. And she died with her prayer not being answered. But she kept her faith in the Lord that maybe one day this would would happen. 
So she didn't get to see that her son would change his life and become a pastor in the United Methodist Church. That Samuel's son, Samuel II, will become a pastor. That Samuel's younger son, David, will become a pastor. That his grandson, Samuel III, will become a pastor. That his granddaughter, Becky, and her, and her husband, Joey, will become pastors. That her son-in-law, Robert, will become a pastor. And that that kid, who wanted that BMX bike, will be standing up here, preaching the word. That, that's the story of, of Maggie's dad. So God has called us to place our burdens at his feet, to trust in him, to trust in his wisdom, to find our peace in the one true God in every situation, whether prayers are answered or not answered. Seek him first. Trust in him. And trust in the one who has given everything for you. God bless you.